What up, guys? Welcome to the new American Dream podcast with your host, George Gibson. All right, today we got a great show. We will be discussing about budgeting and moving from the budgeting step to taking your money to invest it. That's the hardest part about investing. You Once you started saving your money and you've got your budget under control, the hardest part for people to, to learn how to do is invest your money, triple your money, double your money, and let it grow over time. So what I have learned since I've been um, listening and learning, reading all my books, first step is you, you have to, whatever you want to do in life, if it's about skiing, basketball, uh, changing tires on a car, uh, helping save animals, whatever subject or matter you're into, go get books podcast. I mean, fill your brain up with all the information you can about that that particular um, subject that you're interested in. Because first, you have to learn about that subject. And that's what I've been doing. Like I, I deliver mail. While I'm delivering mail, I listen to podcasts about real estate all the time. So I indulge in this information for years now. So now after you started learning, next step is networking. And telling everybody that you know about that subject that you're learning about. So you're basically becoming a teacher because when you're teaching what you learn, you're actually teaching yourself more. So now you you learn, now you're networking by talking to everybody about that subject. Then And then lastly, take action. And that's what I guess we'll be talking about today. You have to take action. Whether you make a bad investment or a good investment, either way, you will learn some from the situation. So I want you to focus on why you listen to this episode and he discussing different ways to how you can budget your money and invest it. I want you to just think about your personal life, what you can do to cut back on savings instead of having car payments or got to have the new Jordans every time they come out. Think of ways that you can save your money and then you have to take that risk after you learn on that subject matter and invest your money. And today's guest I mean, it's awesome. He going to give you detailed information on how he started investing his money and how much time he spent on his investments. You will be you will be surprised. And then also he discussed seller finance. I um seller finance, I'm going to explain to it cuz we didn't explain it. Seller finance is when you purchase a property and then instead of the bank loaning you money, you will be paying the owner directly. So the owner will be holding the note for you. Say you borrow $100,000, the owner, you be paying the owner directly that $100,000 back in payments monthly. And it's basically, you make up the decision of how you guys discuss how would you like to pay that money back. But let's jump into this episode. We got a special guest and here we go. Today's special guest, we have a entrepreneur, a Marine, and he's a top real estate investor. Welcome to the show, David Pierre. Hey, what's going on, brother? I appreciate you having me. Oh, no problem. Uh, did I pronounce the last name right, Pierre? Uh, it's Parade, but no one gets it right, so I, it doesn't bother me at all. Most oh. people say Pierre. Okay, Parade. All right. And Parade, I met him on Instagram, and his his... T- IG is from military to millionaire. 
And what stood out to me from that is like your thing say from military, I mean, military to millionaire. And most people is like nine to five to millionaire, you know? Yeah. And and I'm a mailman. So my, I put my, I say mailman to millionaire. I inserted it in your face, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, name's Dave. Been investing in uh, real estate now for about three years. I've been in the Marine Corps for 10. Um, I've been kind of all over the world throughout that time. So I'm a transportation logistics guy by trade in the military. Uh, but I've gotten to do a little bit of everything, including uh, recruiting and uh, deployed and gone across, you know, to Japan and Afghanistan and currently stationed in Hawaii. Um, got started in real estate about three years ago. And in that time, we've purchased... Uh, at this point, we have 53 rental units, uh, about $3.3 million worth of real estate. I have a partner on one of those deals, but the rest of it's my wife and I. Um, and we've never put more than 6% down on a property. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of creative financing and some would say we're over leveraging. But I, I think the fact that it all cash flows is is enough to say that we're, we're still doing something right. Wow. Okay. So you say 52 rentals? Yeah, 53, actually. 53 runners. Okay. And, all right, that's amazing. All right, it's so much. <laughs> I don't know where to start at. But, all right, let's start. You're, what part of Hawaii you in, Hawaii you in right now? I am in the uh, – I'm on the island of Oahu, which is where Honolulu is. I am on what they call the windward side, so the opposite side of the island as Honolulu, which I actually prefer. It's, it's much more of a – like a quiet – happening town as opposed to the hustle and bustle of Honolulu. Uh, and then on the Marine Corps base, we're actually on like this little peninsula that uh, everybody hates that we own the peninsula because it's probably one of the more beautiful portions of the island with some of the best beaches right. um, and it's locked off to the public. So uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty nice place to live. Yeah. I, I went to um, Maui for my honeymoon, man. And that was, it was, it was different. Hawaii is, is one of a kind. Yeah, I'll tell you, every island has its own personality, and I'm, I have a friend on Maui, and I, I honestly, I almost might prefer to live there than, it's, it's a little bit quieter, and I love it. It's beautiful there. Yeah, and it seemed like the people there, they were almost too nice. It was scary. Like, the jobs, we went, um, what, what was it? When you go up in the um, mountains, and you ride the, um, not the mountains, oh, what is it called? Like, sky, you going through the sky on the little thing? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, ziplining. Yeah, we went ziplining, and the girl, the lady there, she had moved from Orlando, Florida, and she was like, she was visiting, and she just ended up working there, and she stayed there. It was like, the people there, they do jobs they love instead of exactly. working for money, you know? Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of happy-go-lucky people out here. Yeah, like, she just working ziplining in the middle of nowhere, but she was so happy. It was like, wow, you know, you, you doing you, you happy. That's what's the most important part. But Absolutely. are you investing in Hawaii or in the States? Uh, yeah. So I have, I do some wholesaling type stuff out here. So I partnered on one fix and flip out here, but for the most part, my, my buy and hold rental properties are all in uh, Missouri. So sure. it makes more sense there. Okay. All right. That's what, is that where you're originally from or? What make Missouri? That's where I recruited. Um, and that's where my wife is from. So I, I recruited out of Missouri and I met my wife there and kind of just ended up deciding I'd like to stay there long term eventually. So, okay. So, all right, before we get into that, like, 
how did you grow up? Was your parents military or what what made you go to military? Uh, my parents were, so my dad was an accountant in San Francisco. And when I was like six years old, they decided they were going to drop everything and become uh, missionaries. So they worked for this organization, uh, Family Life, and they do like marriage conferences across the nation, um, try to help people stay, stay happy. So I, I had a happily married family growing up, but uh, I was homeschooled. And I lived kind of out, in, not not out in the boonies, but right. out of town in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And I had a, a fairly sheltered uh, childhood, so I didn't really get to experience a lot of the public school life and a lot of that. And and so I kind of I was looking at colleges, and I really didn't know what I wanted to study, and I really wasn't excited about the idea of going to school. Right. And one day I met this Marine recruiter, and I was sold. It was travel the world and adventure and <laughs> and guns and explosions and all the other cool stuff. And then it was like, Hey, this will pay for college down the road. So I can figure it out later. Um, And then I joined and uh, to date, I haven't gone back. So uh, it's been, uh, I mean, I've gone back home, but I haven't gone back and like gotten out and gone to school. So uh, it's, it's been awesome. Yeah. Do you think, um, cause I just had a son. He's, he just turned seven months and like home. Yeah. Thank you. Do you think I was, like, do you think homeschool and public school does it make you a less, uh, like intro a more introvert person, being not around other kids? I've seen both spectrums. I have. There's a stereotype with homeschooling that that's the case, and I definitely had friends growing up that fit that mold. Mm-hmm. But I've also had very successful friends that were homeschooled with me. I've got friends who were doctors and uh, developers and engineers and you know the works. I think the biggest thing is that if you're going to homeschool you need to make sure you get your kids around other social activities so yeah i like when i was growing up i went to uh, a very large church so that kind of forced me to be around people i also i ended up working in a coffee shop so you know if you don't like talking to people working in a coffee shop is a terrible place to be so i got very (laughs) familiar with talking to people um and then i played sports and i think playing sports is probably one of the easiest ways to to mitigate any social awkwardness because you know you've got to interact in sports and it's fun so it takes people out of their comfort zone okay and oh so you didn't so did you have a gpa no i gotta so if as long as there's there's ways to do it you have to follow certain guidelines but as long as you follow like a accredited curriculum you can get your normal diploma it's actually really funny though because it's not like a state diploma it's basically like it's a high school diploma but like there's no set format for it. So like my high school diploma is a word document that my parents typed up, wow. uh, which is, which is hilarious, but it's, it's legitimate enough that the Marine Corps took it and they would actually, they'll actually, it's easier to get in with a homeschool diploma than with a GPA provided that you stuck to an actual curriculum. Wow. Yeah. Cause I was trying to see like on a scale, like in, in school, like where would you rank? Like were you an A student, B student, C student? What do you think? <laughs> I was a terrible student. So I actually I went to public school for one semester. Right. And I was really, really, really good at math. I've always been good at numbers, but I didn't do work. So like that was always a huge sticking point. In fact, it's actually this is one of my favorite stories about high school. Uh, my mom does not remember it the same, but I got grounded once for cheating because I found the answer key to my math. Wow. Um, but the reason I did it 
is not because I didn't understand math and I wanted to cheat. I legitimately, I, I would do a test and I would do all of the algebra in my head, like nothing. It was very easy for me to look at numbers and go, okay, here's the answer, right? Yeah. So I was always that weird. I wouldn't show my work and I didn't know how to show my work properly. So my mom would go in and I would get like red penned and miss answers for not showing my work. And I kid you not, I got caught and grounded for cheating because I had done a test and then I had gone and gotten the answer key because the answer key showed how to do the work. And I was only plugging in the how to do your work part from the answer key. So like the answer was already done. So I get caught and like half of the work is done and she's like what are you doing i'm like oh i already answered all the answers i'm just doing you know i thought it was justified like i just don't know how to show my work so I'm yeah to that, show- that's funny because that means like you learn different from other people i know that because i'm kind of yeah. the same way i'm real good at math not so good at english but i could do the problem in my head and then the teacher the same way like you got to go through each step and it could be 10 steps for no reason i feel like yeah once I yeah, it's just the way to get the answer, I just came up with my own way to get there. Yeah, so I think I would probably say I was like a C student. I was I was the student where if you said, hey, look, uh, as long as you're finished with all your work, you can go out and play, then I would get a C or a D and go out and play. And, and, and play. I would never, you know, it was that was not my priority. And honestly, I think that helps me in life because I'm. I know what needs to be done, but I'm not a perfectionist. And, and being a perfectionist in real estate is never going to end. Really. Yeah. And listen, like I listen to a lot of Dave Ramsey podcasts and they have the show where like the millionaire theme hour. But it seems like yeah. a lot of the millionaires that GPA is like a 2.8 to a 3.2. It's right in that. Like they're not studying too hard, but they're doing just enough to make it, you know? Yeah, I am actually reading. uh I think I just finished it actually. Uh, smart kids or smart money, smart kids. It's a Dave Ramsey, Rachel Cruz book, right. and uh, and they talk about that. They say that you know if you have if your students an A student, then they don't have time to devote to learning other things. And that not to say that you shouldn't be an A student, yeah. but they're saying like don't 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 force your kid to be an A student. If they're a B or a C student, that's okay. That's okay. Maybe they're learning something else. Like you know. They yeah. have brain power left over. Like, I, I, me and my wife, we always talking about, like, how we're going to raise our son. But I, I keep saying, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to check his report card. And what I mean by that, I'm not going to base his entire, like, me growing up, my, bringing a report card home, my parents want to see it, like, that exact same day. And it better be A's and B's, you know? But I don't think that justifies yeah, I think success. My- I agree. Yeah, I think my favorite joke, uh, you know, we use it kind of in a negative light here in the military, but uh, I heard this joke once, and it's, what do you call the doctor who was the, the worst doctor in his graduating class? The doctor? <laughs> exactly. He still got the degree. So like, you know, and it's and they use that negatively out, out in the military to be like, oh, he's not the best doctor. But the reality he's the is, he's, he's getting Right. Like, you know, as long as you're not failing, then you're good. As long as you're learning and putting your work somewhere else. Now, if you're just scraping by at D and playing video games all day, I might have a conversation with you. But if you're being productive, then, hey, I don't care what your grade is. Just pass. So, all right. You're in the Marines. What initiated this? Is real estate your only investment or is it anything else? 
No, I mean, I, I have a, I have a large, I say large, I, not a large, but I have, I have a, the thrift savings plan, which is like the military 401k. Uh, 401k. Yes. And then I've dabbled in some stocks. I own, uh, I own some shares of some companies that aren't publicly traded. I'm partnered on a, I, I kind of dabble in, I guess, I guess you could call that an angel investment, but that was a long time ago. I partnered with a buddy on a business, um, it was uh, like an online uh, search engine optimization type thing. I'm this and I gave him money, and that gives me money. <laughs> yeah, I wish, right? Um, yeah, I bought Google, and I'm a billionaire. No, uh, no, a very small yeah. fledgling thing, but I mean, it it pays it pays some dividends, and it was you know it was basically I had gotten a small, small, small uh, bonus for joining right. the military, and I was like talking to my mentor at the time I'm like what do I do with this he's like well I'm actually starting a business if you want to put it somewhere and just forget about it and it'll grow over time and I was like done and I just gave it to him um and, and you know and since then it's it's more than tripled and it, again it wasn't a right. huge amount but it's a very passive thing I've never done anything with it and it's growing on me and giving me yeah. some dividends I think so. that's um like because it's it's steps to become a millionaire I believe first growing up you you got to learn how to earn money and that's go get a job. And then after learning how to earn money, they're like, okay, now figure out how to save money. But the third part, I feel like yes. I feel like the third part, the hardest part is making your money grow. Once you got that fifty thousand dollar a year job, like now how do I I make that money grow? You know? Yeah. And the and I tell people all the time, it's it's not your income, you know, because having a W two job or like my whole uh website is and and platform is for like military slash working class right because i don't think that your income defines how you build wealth it's your expenses and unfortunately we have this mentality in the world of oh we need to increase minimum wage because we can't live on this and every time i hear that i i don't i don't argue i mean heck the people who want to raise minimum wage good for you you're going to increase the rent in my building and it'll it'll be right. profitable <laughs> for me um but the reality is, and I try to tell them this, and it's very it's very rare that somebody actually takes a step back and looks at it, but you know, you start talking to them and you're like, what kind of car do you drive? Okay, so your payment's this. That's more than my payment for both my cars. What kind of uh, shoes are you wearing? Oh, yep, those are, you know, and you start peeling the onion back and you're like, look, man, the problem isn't that you're not making enough money. The problem is that you want to live a lifestyle that your money doesn't allow. And if you cut your expenses, you'll be able to build wealth. And then even on the same income, you know, you could turn around and build and, and have a decent, because I promise you at your first year in the military, you're not pulling in hundreds of thousands of dollars. My two statement was like 28 wow. grand, um, you know, and, and I still had money, not yeah. a huge amount, but I had a couple thousand dollars saved up and, that's more than I mean. I have friends who don't have a thousand dollars in the bank account, and they make more money than I do. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing with? Yeah, your life? and that's 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 very important because I tell people all the time the expenses. Like, like I know you heard of the house hack. Like, I bought my first house. That's yes. why I call the podcast the New American Dream because I, I was I think we was 25. We purchased our first home, me and my wife, and we was living the American Dream. We purchased our house. It was three bedroom, two bath, standard. Uh, we had two car payments, like you said, two cars. So that's a, a mortgage and two car payments right there, right? And I'm like, I only thing I didn't have was the fence. I had a dog, and we didn't have a baby yet. But it was like, I'm going to be working a job the rest of my, my life with this two car payments in this house. And I, I started listening to yeah. Bigger Pockets and um, a couple other podcasts. But I, that's when I discovered the house hack. 
and I sold my house, and now I live in a home with the mother-in-law suite, and it literally it pays for my entire house. You know, that's yeah, so, so that's cool. Why, I mean, I understand what you said. Expenses is first, right? Absolutely, that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, if you can get expenses straight, you can do anything. So, and I'm guilty of this even to this day. I'm terrible. I I have. I didn't. I didn't grow up, you know, missionary kid. We didn't grow up with a ton of money or anything. Um, and so I've always, you know, one of my one of my things growing up was, you know, like the, I would ask for like a specific version of something, and I would get like the off brand version. And I absolutely understand why that happened, and I totally get it. But like in my head, growing up, when I turned eighteen, it was like now I can afford the real one, and I still struggle with that voice <laughs> in my head, telling myself like. Dude, you don't need Sensodyne toothpaste. You can get Colgate, yeah. somewhere, you know, um, or Equate, or um, and I'm, and so I'm guilty of it. I will, I will. But now my thing is, I will splurge if it's something that I can buy with the business card for the blog or a real estate investment. So, for example, like I just, and if they listen to this, I didn't say this, but I just spent way more than I should have on a nice bottle of. Uh, bourbon and a nice bottle of scotch for two of the members of my real estate team to say, Hey, thank you for everything you've done for me this year. Could I have bought a bottle of Jack Daniels? Absolutely. But I think that the sentiment is worth it. So for something like that, yeah, there's a return on that. I'll, I'll buy, I'll go, I'll go and I'll splurge for it. But like lately I've been being, being pretty good about saying like, okay, I don't need that pair of shoes. I still have a pair of shoes. I'm good. I don't need another watch, you know? Um, but once I got my expenses under track, because I even I thought I was doing really, really, really good two right. years ago, and I was I went to this course to become a command financial specialist for the military, and they do a budget, and in the budget process, I do my whole budget, and I'm honest, and I'm like, yeah, we're gonna kill this, and I was doing okay. We were saving like 25, 26 percent of our income, which is right. which is fine. But I started looking at my expenses, and by the time I left the that week, the course like we're saving 45 percent of our income wow. now. Um, and I'm like, man, if I had known this a year ago, I would have had an extra like six thousand dollars for investing, yeah. you know, or whatever. So from I don't that know course, but that was you learn about the car payments and stuff. That was where I mean they taught a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, I uh, in that course I actually, I mean the the number one thing that I got out of that course was the budgeting doc, and the the reason for that there's a whole bunch of different budgets, um, but the one they give us is specifically for military and it allows you to plug in how many years have you been in what's your current rank um you know what percentage are you allocating for your retirement and it it does the math accurately uh because it's kind of hard to go into like seven different systems and say okay now what am i getting here what's my tax percentage here um and so this excel document is the most elaborate thing i've ever seen you plug a few numbers in and it accurately feeds it all out to you um and so being able to see it that way, I realized that I was accounting for things incorrectly. Uh, so that was invaluable. But then it also talks about uh, – it went into some more details. Uh, if you don't know, the military has changed their retirement system. So it, it went into some more details on that, and I actually ended up opting into the new retirement system when originally I had decided not to. Um, so there were a couple different things I got out of that class, but I think the biggest piece was being able to have a budget that I can sit down with a Marine and very quickly say, click, 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 here's what your expenses like what are you, what are you spending for money or for expenses? Boom, 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 boom. Okay, here's where you're at financially, and here's what percentage of your money you're putting away, and here's what you could be doing. Um, and it's been it's a definite game changer. So you changer. would tell the person that's trying to get their um, money in order, 
to basically sit down and write down all your expenses and your income and look at where you can cut back, right? Absolutely, okay. yeah. Because that's the hardest part, part for people. Like, you get your paycheck, you pay your bills, and whatever left, you try to save where you spend. And it's, it's, kind of, it's difficult to do. It's even difficult for me. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I know that I'm bad at that. So I put an automatic allotment so that like 1500 or whatever amount of my paycheck automatically gets dumped into my business account before it even hits my checking account. That way, if I blow my whole checking account throughout the month, I at least put some okay. money away. And that's to pay yourself first. <laughs> okay, yep. so let's think. All right, your first real estate deal. How hard was it to, because it seemed like for my first deal, it's scary to, sp- to spend that amount of money, you know? So yeah. let's tell us, like, how did you invest in that first uh, real estate deal? Yeah, so the I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the biggest thing I took out of that book was the, like, take action, right? Like, if, you're, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. Um, and so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read the book on rental property investing, uh, the Bigger Pockets book by Brandon Turner. Um, and I read uh, another book, and within like three or four months, I had closed on my first property. But the reason for that was because I had it in my head, like, if I don't freaking do this, I'm never going to do it. So I have to do it, have to do it, have to do it. Um, and with that mentality, it made it easier to pull the trigger because in my head, it was like, even if this is not a good investment, at, at least, least I did, did it. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I did an FHA loan because unfortunately, I was not super familiar with the VA loan benefits that we have. And I'm still kicking myself because I'm paying an extra 80 bucks a month in mortgage, but it's still cash flow. So I, I did a duplex and I did a house hack. Uh, and so I went from renting a two bedroom, one bath apartment for five fifty a month to owning a duplex and living in a two bed, one up one bath apartment with 150 left over. Um, so I was, you know, I went from paying five fifty a month to paying one hundred and fifty to own a building with two. How units. much was this? Uh, was this the one in uh, Missouri? Yeah, it's in Missouri. So it was only uh, we paid eighty one thousand for it. So it was super affordable. Yeah. Um, and with the FHA loan, it was only like three or four grand out of my pocket. Wow. Uh, and then I eventually moved out to Hawaii, and at that point, it was kind of like, oh well, man, I. We tried to buy some stuff with the VA loan out here, but we kept getting outbid. So we ended up just not. And then we kind of sat and just saved money for it, a When bit. you say we, are you talking about you and your wife or a different partner? Okay. Yeah. Are both of you guys in the military? No, she uh, she was a high school counselor, and now she works at the education center here on okay, base. Okay. So you get to Hawaii. All right, you bought the duplex, and that's the only um, property you had when you got in Hawaii? Yeah. Uh, well, so my wife had owned a house, um, a single family property. So we, we still have that one, but it, I mean, it's like cash flow. sometimes it's, it was not purchased as an investment. Uh, we really, we just have it because it's not a bad place and we wouldn't mind retiring there and it's in a good area. So we're like, we'll just hold on to this as long as it's not costing us any money, Um, which we're, we probably make about 30 to 50 bucks a month off it. So it's, uh, Not, not a great investment, but it's still breaking even at least. So it's like we might as well keep okay. it. So the, what's the first step you would tell a person? They're looking for a property. Do you go straight to the MLS or you send out letters? So it, it kind of depends on your market. 
in in the Midwest, you can often get by with, you know, and in cheaper markets, you can often get by with going to the MLS. I generally tell people to, you know, message some wholesalers so you can go on Google and just type in like we buy houses and then your city name and a whole bunch of wholesalers will pop up and then you can you can talk to them and they'll send you deals that are on sale. Uh, and off market. But I also would recommend finding a really solid realtor because they'll do the MLS search for you and they'll be able to walk you through the transaction. Because if you're buying your first home, you definitely want to have an agent involved because if you don't, you're going to have no idea what the process looks like and you, you may forget to do an inspection or something like that. And then you're you're hurting yourself. So it's absolutely worth paying the commission on your first property to learn like, okay, I need to do an appraisal. I need to do an inspection. I need to do this, you know, so that you don't, you don't find something out after purchase and go, well, crap, we should have done an inspection. Did you have, Um, I I have my real estate license. I mean, I just got them this summer. And the reason I got them was because I felt like it would help me more with purchasing deals. But did you ever think about getting your license? I actually have my license out here in Hawaii. Um, yeah, just just recently though, and I use it more as a kind of a referral thing at this point. I don't really, I don't have a whole lot of free time to go do showings, um, but I kind of figure if I'm going to wholesale a property out here, instead of doing a you know five or ten thousand dollar wholesale fee, if I find a good property, I can just say, hey, look, here's a great property for you. Uh, it's all yours, but I just ask that you let me be the buyer's agent, and then when you flip it, the seller's agent. Um, and then that way, you know, I, I actually would make a little bit more off the commission given the house price out here and they wouldn't have to pay a wholesaler fee. So it would be a better deal. for So because so, I'm a real estate agent. So you saying you find a house that somebody want to sell. And they- yep. So so because I still have like a network of of people who bring me houses that need to be fixed up right. and flipped, I could just bring it to an investor and say, hey, look, this property is exactly what you're looking for. Let me represent you as the buyer's agent when you buy it, and then let me represent you as the seller's agent when you're fixed it up and you sell it. That way, they don't have to pay like a wholesaler fee because they normally would, and I would still get just as much in commission. Okay, so so you, you um, when you go talk to the seller, you're not listing it on the market. You're just going to basically do the transaction for them, right? Okay. Yeah. That's, I never thought about that because I'm in the same situation. I do meet a lot of people that's trying to sell properties, but I never thought about doing it the way you just said it. That's different. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I figure if I can save some people some some cash and it's still about the same amount of cash for me, then why not? Yeah. So, all right. Um, what's your plan? All right, right, no, right now, what's currently your main focus? Is it military and focus on the rentals? So, yeah, right now, military, although I don't know if I'm going to re-enlist this go-round. Things are going well, so there's a part of me that kind of wants to move back home and, and be more focused on the, the side hustle and the everything. But uh, military is still definitely my full-time job. And then uh, I do from like 4 in the morning to 6.15 in the morning on most days. I'm working on my blog and my YouTube channel and stuff like that. And then that's none of that's monetized yet. It's just for fun, I guess. And then uh, I do, yeah, the real estate, which still takes up a decent amount of time, probably. So my most recent purchase is we're probably about to end up in a lawsuit, uh, but I won't get into specifics in case we do. But basically, there's been a lot of contractual obligations not upheld by the seller. 
Um, and I, I mean, it's just kind of to the point where it's like, okay, did I actually buy this building or did you just take my money and then assume that I would go away if you let like, if you controlled everything, um, it's kind of a mess. So I think I just emailed a lawyer like 30 minutes ago and I think we're going to end up in court basically to say, Hey, look, either give me my money away or give me my money back or we need to completely renegotiate this deal because you're not meeting any of your obligations or deadlines. Um, so that unfortunately has taken probably five or six hours yeah. a week of yeah. my life. <laughs> but normally I would say I spend like an hour, an, an hour a month on my real estate stuff, maybe. Uh, and then the rest of my time would be actually looking for new deals and, and stuff like that. But maybe an hour a month is spent with me talking to my property manager and reviewing my monthly report because that's about as minimal as it. I mean, I don't about once a month or at the end of every month, she sends me a report. And that's about the only conversation we have about my properties aside from this big one. Um, and then I say, Oh, yep, everything looks good. And then I spend about an hour plugging it into an Excel document and go on my merry way. And that's about it. Um, it, it's not bad considering that those other 13 units are making, you know, a thousand fifteen hundred dollars a month. And it takes me about an hour, maybe two hours tops to, 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 to deal with them every okay. month. So if, if um, a person is looking to buy a property, and the noise a good if it's a good deal or bad deal, how much cash flow cash flow do you look for in a deal? Like a thousand, five hundred to make it a good deal. I mean, I say if you're getting at least a hundred dollars a door, depending on how much you're spending. And that's that's you know, so for me if I put if I buy a property that only costs eighty thousand dollars and I'm getting a hundred bucks a door, that's not a bad deal. Um, but if I bought a property that costs, you know, a million dollars a door and it only or it only costs or it only brought in a hundred bucks, I'd be like, okay, what is wrong with yeah. this thing? Um, so I, I generally look for at least a hundred bucks a door and then, you know, an, an affordable entry price and room to value add. So I bought a 10 plex and we bought it at 212,000. We did a couple changes, a couple tweaks here and there, got it fully occupied. Was it? Uh, occupied, tweaked a was, couple things. Was it occupied to, when you bought it for 200000 a 10-plex? It, it was fully occupied, but three of the tenants needed to go bye-bye. One was not a background check, and two were registered sex offenders that I didn't want in the building. Um, so we, we bought it knowing we had to evict them and get some others in. And we've had a couple other things. We repatched some stuff, and um, but we bought the – we bought the property at 212 because it's in Missouri and it was like a C class property. So it wasn't a high end property. Um, and we've fixed it up a little bit and done some stuff to it here and there. And it's probably worth about 300, 320 right now. Uh, by the end of the year, it'll probably be worth about 350. And so by the time we're looking at either holding it again, depending on how, I mean, right now it's doing very well. So it makes sense to hold it. Um, but you know, a year, year and a half down the road, I might, I might sell it, pull the hundred thousand in equity out of it and, and go invest in something else. So we'll, we'll see what happens with and, that. And you say, um, cause I'm in Florida and we have to put 20% down for investment property. How are you, you say the most you put down is 6%. The, the wonders of creativity. <laughs> uh, so I, the 10 plex we put down. I'd have to do the math, but I think it was like five and a half or six percent. Um, so we did. We were gonna put. We were gonna put ten percent, and the seller was gonna seller finance ten percent, um, and then the bank was gonna do the other eighty. But there were some issues that needed to be repaired with the building, yeah. 
And so rather than giving me a check at closing, the seller just reduced the price. But I guess nobody, like, I guess the bank neglected to adjust their numbers. So when we went to closing, I was prepared to drop uh, 21,250 or whatever the math is down for closing. We go to escrow on closing day and the bank brought in their full amount for the 80% of the original price. And then, and so, and so this, they're sitting there and they were like, well, we can either go back and redo all of this and it'll take a couple days or we can close as is. And I was like, well, what does this mean for me? And they're like, well, you would only need 10,900 to close <laughs> and you would still have the property. And I was like, That's done. And uh, so, yeah, so instead of 10%, I paid like 5.5, 5.6 or something like that. And I got the exact same cash flow that I would have had at the original purchase, uh, all the original analysis because those two parties still so I got a seller financing note for uh, for like ten thousand something or for twenty thousand. Yeah. Sorry, um, it's like seventy bucks a month, and in five years that would go away. And then I have a a bank note that is you know it's, it's a decent amount, but it's it's very affordable rate. Um, and so seller financing in that regard. And then on this big purchase, we actually purchased it via a lease option, which is ironic because that's why I'm having all these issues because the guy's name is still on the right. title, but when you via lease option you purchase control and somehow in his head he's like well i'm on title so i'm still doing stuff and I'm like no i purchased control. with tight with control and quiet enjoyment which means you're not doing anything um so that's kind of where the chaos has come here but that's not a flaw in the lease option system that's a flaw in him him either a, being a really bad businessman or b as it's it's starting to look is that it's just kind of a more fraudulent con type thing like there's a lot of uh, misrepresentation and fraudulent type things we're discovering. So I, I think it might have been uh, much more of an integrity intentional thing as opposed to a uh, mistake. That being said, we brought uh, 150000 down for a $2.8 million building, uh, which came out to 495 or 5.05%, I can't remember, uh, down on the lease option. Wow. That's amazing. That's that's yeah. people and people always because people ask me all the time, George, how much do I need to put down? And I'm thinking 20% normally, but if you get creative, that's that's amazing. Get down to five percent. Yeah, I'll tell you that there's a there's a definite benefit for doing 20, 25% and just doing a bank. I mean, it's much, much simpler, right? Like every month I have to remember that I gotta write two different checks to two different people for my 10 plex. But I mean, if that's the most chaos, it's not that no. bad. Um and then there's there's other benefits. The really cool thing with seller financing is that it's what you and the seller agree to. So, for example, my tenplex is four percent for for five years. You know, it's a simple rate, no no whatever. My big one, we have a four percent interest rate for the first three years. Then it'll go up to five. Then it'll go up to six. And then it'll go up to whatever prime is plus one percent over the next 10 years. So it increases if I don't execute my option, but the first year is interest only. And so I'm paying a very small chunk of change every month until I get the building up to where it needs to be. And then my number will go up every month until it is where it needs to be. Um, And then when I refinance out, I I'm totally done, but I, you know, we'll see what happens at this point. It's kind of like, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens with the building, but um, still a really cool idea. And the other cool thing, and here's so people, 
you know, it sounds risky because you're super over leveraged on this big building. Uh, but the, the worst thing that could ever happen with a lease option, this is what's so cool, is that if everything goes super right. south and I get and, and the guy like repossesses the building because I failed to do a bunch right. of stuff. There's no bankruptcy. There's no foreclosure. There's nothing on my credit. It's just I lose my money, and that's a lot of money. But I lose my money, and then I, you know, slap yeah. my hands together and say, "Well, that sucks. I'll find another one." Um, there's no no credit repercussions. So I think that's awesome, given the amount of upside that there is for this and how building. How did you find this lease option? Was it online or? Yeah. So this was actually a really weird. Uh, the guy listed it on Craigslist. Right. As a hey, look, I might be interested in selling via lease option. Basically, he found another another investment, and so he was looking to sell this one so that he could move on and focus on that one. Um, he just kind of posted on Facebook because he didn't know he didn't have an agent because he lived out of state. And my realtor was posting something on Craigslist and saw it and was like, "Huh, this kind of looks like something David likes seller financing. It's a little bigger than what he's done, but let me send it to him." And that was. That was basically it, and then it was like, "Oh, this does look interesting. Oh, the numbers do look good. Let's uh, let's start asking questions." And then we went back and forth for about a month and a half. The really crazy thing is that this is a, a two point eight million dollar purchase price, and I did ninety percent of the negotiations and everything while up on a mountain on a different island, training and only having my phone for like an hour wow. a day, and then. Uh, and then right as we were about to close, like I literally bought a bought a flight on Thursday, went in, looked at it for one day, and then flew back, and then we closed. Uh, but I was actually prepared to buy it without looking at the property until I just realized, like, you know, I, I would like to have some pictures of it that I took. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, as far as all the negotiations were already done before I even flew home to look at it. Uh, so I think that was – the fact that all the numbers and everything could have worked out really well, assuming that the guy sticks to his obligation. Uh, pretty cool to think that it could work out like that without having, yeah, uh, without having been there. What um, type of neighborhood are your properties in? Is it like C class, B class? The 10 plex is in a C class that is slowly transitioning to B class. Um, the duplex is in a B plex. The single families in a or a B plex in a B neighborhood. Um, the single family is probably an A. It's out in the country, so it's like farmland, and but they're nicer places. So I would say A. Uh, and then this monster thing is definitely an A. It's on like a main stretch of road through Branson, Missouri. They're building a water park next door to it, so it's a up and coming area of a nice area. Right. Okay, because me and my brother, we um, we we want a property at an option for fifty one thousand, and we was looking at the housing in that neighborhood. They were going for like uh, ninety, eighty five, somewhere around there. So we put it on the market. But the thing is, in the D class neighborhood, the only people purchasing are investors normally. An investor wasn't gonna pay, you know, the retail price for that property. So I'm realizing you can't, yeah, you can't. Like we can't flip a property in a lower class neighborhood because it's hard to get a buyer that's gonna pay that much. Yeah, not without fixing. Yeah, it. I mean it was fixed up, but it's just the people that was um the other agents. It was all investors who was interested in the property mainly. That's it. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, but I mean it's under contract now. We selling it, but I learned my lesson. I'd rather buy in um like you said at least a B class neighborhood. We doing a flip.
So yeah. Um, last three questions. What is your favorite business book? Ooh, uh, yeah, I know you're on a man. Uh, you know, I always recommend. You can't. Yeah, I always make re- recommend Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, it, I I always tell people that doesn't count as my answer, but I have to say it. Um, I really like. Oh, there's so many, so many. I would have to say probably either the four hour work week or the 80, 20 principle. And I, and I say those because in my line of work, uh, which is, you know, the military primarily, but the military is a very extensive, long day, hard hours, whatever lifestyle. So in order to be able to run a side business, you have to understand how to be efficient. And both the four hour work week and the 80, 20 principle talk about finding the thing that will make the most difference and doing that. And then, if you have time for other things, doing them, but becoming very efficient and like farming out tasks that aren't your strength. So as far as becoming a much more efficient person, I think those are excellent reads. Okay. Yeah, I read the four-hour work week, but the 80-20, no, I got to get that one. It's a book I'm reading now. You ever heard of The Little Red Book of Wisdom? Have you heard of that? I have not. Yeah, it's by Mark Demos, but that book is basically talking about like nowadays – we are hooked to the, the phone and the internet. And this book is about like, it's about a guy, he used to get paid a million dollars just to think. So you walk in his office and his speech is up on the desk. And you know, because that's the, that's the, um, the most important thing is that is being, having time to think, you know? And it's a, uh, it's a find out the wisest decision anyone can make. No, it's a, the value of eating lunch alone. Like it's just different things about being, it's going back to the old days, basically, instead of all this technology. And I realized even that's pretty cool. I have to check yeah, it out. even now, like if you if I send a contract out, I want the response immediately from the other agent because like it's on your phone. Instead of like my dad used to always say, "Let me sleep on it." If I want to buy something, he'd be like, "Let me sleep on it," and it that actually worked if you sleep and think about it. You know, the decision. Yeah. But um, what's the one of the best advice you could give a person who's looking to be an entrepreneur a startup yeah so the i always just say the three the three things i always tell someone i've kind of just started getting to the point where i just like this is the solution to everything is is learn network and take action um so read some books listen to podcasts and educate yourself and then network go to local meetups for whatever it is you want you can go to meetup.com bigger pockets all these different websites facebook whatever and find events for whatever it is that you're passionate about. For me, it's real estate. I actually host a meetup once a month out here uh, because there wasn't one close enough to me. So I started one, which has been even more awesome than going yeah. to one. Um, but yeah, go to, go to a meetup and then don't be the guy who goes to the meetup and is like, I read all this stuff. You're saying the wrong thing. Like go to the meetup and say, Hey, I have a question. I don't understand this. And then people will help you and you'll meet people and Holy smokes. Networking opens so many doors. It is amazing. And then the last one is take action because if you don't do that, then the rest of it doesn't matter. Got it. And that's one of the things I've been thinking about because um, there's no bigger pockets meet up around where I'm at right now. So I'm thinking about trying to um, set one up because it's a lot of people into real estate, but I don't know of any meetup that's going on right now. Do it. So if you go onto the bigger pockets website, the little event page right. right there, just start one, just host event and go for it. Like plug it in there. And then type in whatever and then put it on Facebook as well. And holy smokes, like you'd be amazed. So I, I kind of got lucky because 
So I, I know Brandon Turner, and he was the one who told me to host a meetup, and he was out here right. at the time. So I was like, Brandon Turner is going to be there. So I had like 20 people at my first yeah. meetup. But that's the only one he ever came to, and I consistently have 20 to 25 people at every single meetup. And right now, we don't even have a venue because everyone wants to charge me an arm and a leg, and we outgrew the bar we were meeting in. So right now, our meetup is under a pavilion on the beach in the middle of nowhere and it gets dark and people are like standing in the dark eating pizza off the floor because there's no cable <laughs> at the pavilion it's like it's yeah. like whatever like nobody cares we just hang out flip-flops and talk and it's fun dang what's um i would say you know brandon what's something people wouldn't know about him that you would know uh and like, wouldn't know about like, it's different when you meet people in person like, i remember when i went to hawaii i kept asking people uh, do you know Robert Kiyosaki? And like nobody never heard of him. <laughs> nobody never heard of him where I was at. So I'm like, I, he always talked about Hawaii, 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 but nobody knew who he was. They thought I was crazy. Yeah, he was, he was stationed on the base I live on right now. He, you said he was stationed on a base? Um, yeah, so he was in the Marine Corps for a little while and he his last duty station was here and he was stationed on the base that I'm on right now. Yeah. Um Let's see something about. I mean, I would assume most people know that he likes to surf, so I would say that's one. Uh, but I think um, it takes a different. I guess take a different type of person to accomplish the success. You even you you have like it take. It's a different type of mindset that you have from an average person. That's what I would say about Brandon is that he is just as genuine in person as he appears to be online. He's a very, very, he, he lives by what he preaches. So he's very genuine, very humble, very nice guy. Uh, and, and a lot of times you meet, you know, people who've been very successful and you can tell that their time is very important to them. And, and that's good. I mean, time is very important to them, but, but it kind of rubs off that way. Whereas as Brandon's done a very good job of ensuring that his time is his time and, and he's super genuine. And I, I think that's probably the one thing I would say that, Maybe maybe not a lot of people know because they don't. Uh, you see the super high energy Brandon online, and he's like this really gentle, nice guy in yeah. person. I, I mean, I like this is I've been listening to Bigger Pockets for a while, but I'll be sending like recently I send him deals like that I'll be in or about to be in, and he'll give me a yeah nay. But I'm pretty sure he probably got a bill coming for me soon. Because I do ask a lot of questions, or I get a, I get a lot of advice, but he responds. It might take a week or two, but he responds. <laughs> He's the real deal, man. He's the yeah. real deal. So, all right, David Pierre, that was great having you on the show. And let people know where they can find you at on online or social media. Yeah, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. It's been fun chatting with you. Uh, so people can ha- find me at uh, if you. From Military to Millionaire on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, From Military to Millionaire, or at FromMilitaryToMillionaire.com. And it's spelled just like it sounds, no spaces, nothing crazy, just long and talking about my journey. David, this is the new American dream, and I will talk to you later, man. Sounds good, brother. Have a good one.